After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. Uh, I have oh. four empty cans of Lacroix. Next it's not a big deal, but I totally just lost that. Ryan, again. if I didn't know Probably better, I would think you were a computer. DNC operative. Why? Because I took LaCroix. Yes! Yes! In fairness, I haven't had LaCroix in like several months. I just was at a store the other day and was like, oh, I haven't had it in several months. I've had to drink water. He keeps track, Adi. He keeps track. He keeps track. That This is a cla- this is class uh, privilege. This is what's going on. Uh, y'all goofing on me right now. You no, were goofing on me. I'm having PC to... trouble, okay? Listen, check your privilege. Hey, I was mad Not all of us have fun. I was mad at... at, at Google and Torbor over there. Torbor? What did you call me? You heard me, Torlor. What the fuck? Google and Torlor. Okay, it's Gibby. That's, is Gabby's it's, nickname. It's That's Google been and Torlor is what it is now. All right, pinheads. Hey, listener. Welcome back to Greenhouse Gaslighting. I've got some familiar guests for today's discussion. Please welcome back Gabby. Hello. Congratulations on your third appearance. I got to mail you the Greenhouse Gaslighting Challenge coin at some point. <laughs> Tyler? Hello, it is a pleasure to be invited back. I also got to mail you that challenge coin. And coming back for his second appearance, please welcome back Tyler's twin, Ryan. Howdy. Also, how am I Tyler's twin? I believe he's my twin. I, I'm not I'm not familiar with the possessive noun in this case. I thought this isn't French. What the... <laughs> I can't believe I'm uh, ahead of Ryan. That feels odd considering he got on before I did. I mean, if here's the thing: it's if Ryan bad. comes on for one more, do I just mail both of you like the same challenge coin or like? That is rude. Yeah. That is not rude. <laughs> I will not tolerate this anti-twin sentiment. We are two people. I I apologize for the anti-twin sentiment on this program. Uh, on behalf of the Midwest Twin Association, I th- I thoroughly apologize. We will be held accountable. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, I wanted to have the three of you on because I was leading up to a tangent in one of the earlier episodes on being directly involved or working in the field when it comes to political goals or things that you want to do in the community. And I realized, like, well, wait. All of us have technically done some variation of working in campaigns or advocacy or working in nonprofits. And I felt like having the three of you on to talk about what that has been like and what you've been up to and maybe talking about some of the limitations and what people don't know looking outside in. I feel like that'd be a useful discussion to have. So, Gabby, I wanted to start with you first because you've been working in advocacy and I think we see we hear at least on Twitter I hear that world that word tossed around a lot, with little to no understanding of what that means. So hopefully you can uh, disillusion some of that for us. Yeah. So I work in advocacy, uh, as Audie already mentioned. Uh, so I think one of the big first thing that pops into my head when it comes to talking about like what advocacy really is and what that looks like, I think it. Like the nice word for lobbying, right? Because lobbying has this really negative connotation um, and advocacy has this kind of nice community-based type of feeling to it that I think people like like that instead. Um, so I guess demystifying it, if you're going to get really technical, uh, advocacy is informing about a topic area, um, usually with the goal of change, but you don't have a specified change in mind. 
whereas lobbying actually constitutes as anything that you are suggesting to a elected official representative or otherwise. So if I say animal rights are really important because X, Y, and Z reason, um, that's just advocacy and just informing like what makes this important, like what about it is important. Whereas lobbying would look a lot more like, hi, um, X, Y, and Z representative, you should vote no on this bill because it will endanger animals, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's like a conflation of those two things where people say they're doing advocacy work and that it is kind of like a big umbrella term for lobbying too. But there is a specified kind of piece of lobbying is actually enacting like real tangible change. Well, it's both real tangible change, but has a specific ask. You're telling someone, an elected rep specifically, like how to do that work. Like this is what you need to do. Whereas advocacy is more of an informing type of activity. If that helps, I'm not sure how informative that is for people, but um, that's kind of like the nuts and bolts definition of those things. Um, not sure if that's exactly what we're looking at. <laughs> kind also, of there's, like a big, but... there's like a big education role to it is what you're saying. Like you're more yeah, just educating I, yeah. lawmakers. Yeah. So advocacy is much more of an educational type of pursuit, which oftentimes has a spin to it for what you want, but you're not saying this is exactly what you need to do. Um, again, specifically to an elected rep or maybe an appointed um, off someone in an appointed office or whatever it might be. So if you are like on Twitter and you're like, you should vote to give more money to this program, that's technically lobbying. <laughs> um, like, especially if you like at like your representative or whatever, whereas advocacy would just be that kind of baseline. Like, hey, if you fund this, this is going to really help person B or this group of people or individuals. Yeah, see, I really like that educating element because I think that very clearly cuts it where like 90% of social media advocacy, air quotes, uh, I don't think it falls under advocacy then because a lot of times it's just yelling at people like, oh, you're an awful person or, oh, you're not educated enough on this. Don't get me wrong, there could be internet advocacy. I just think uh, it takes typically the form of like sharing information, articles, uh, videos, even like explaining certain issues. Uh, just, I, I like, I think the education element is really what kind of sets it apart from like people who are just ranting on Twitter, ranting on Facebook about um, X issue that they're passionate about. Yeah. I mean, and you can, I guess I should be distinct too. Cause like advocacy is just like a tool, like it's a tool right in your box. It can be used for good I get quote unquote good or like in a effective way or it can be used in a really ineffective way. So I think screaming at someone like you're wrong and you're really uninformed and you do these bad things, um, you could technically classify it as advocacy. Would I say it's particularly effective at changing people's mind or informing them about this topic? Probably not because no one's listening to you if you're being really aggressive toward them. Um, whereas I think more effective advocacy, and this is just my personal opinion, is has that kind of role where you're coming into the conversation saying i want to share this knowledge with you and i want to share why what i care about is important and how it impacts people around you so basically advocacy is kind of like in the middle of lobbying and organizing where i guess lobbying is trying to really convince the legislators if you will or like whoever's um, in power at the time like this is why we need you to get it done and I think that's where the stereotypes of greasing palms or backdoor meetings comes in. 
and advocacy is more of the trying to build the coalition. Um, I guess maybe some advocacy involves like hard organizing. I'm not sure where yeah. where that gets involved, but definitely a get making it a, a issue concern is probably the goal, right? Yeah, it's it's a way of informing people around you about what this issue means, right? Because people need to know why something matters before they're going to jump onto a campaign to actually change it. Like if you don't understand why an issue area i like whales i'm just gonna i'll use mm-hmm. whales as my conduit example um if people don't understand how bad organizations like SeaWorld are for whales right specifically orcas like they're not going to get why it's important to advocate against or lobby in some cases uh against these organizations keeping them captive right they're not going to care because I haven't informed them about what even matters about this topic in the first place. They're just going to see me screaming about how we need to free the whales and they're going to go, I mean, okay, but like why? So that advocacy, I think effective advocacy takes your message, what you want done, and it informs people about what, what impacts it really has. Um, and that plays into that organizing piece because again, you can't really organize if you haven't, I mean, you can, but oftentimes you're not going to get a lot of push behind your issue if people don't understand what the core of your issue is and why it matters to them and their communities. If you think of it like an umbrella, advocacy is a big umbrella and lobbying and organizing too, I think, would exist under that umbrella. So technically lobbying is a form of advocacy, but it, it it's not, lobbying and advocacy are not the same, rather lobbying is a subset of advocacy. So you can have all all lobbying is advocacy, but not all advocacy is lobbying. So lobbying is very specific. And that's where I think you get those backdoor deal kind of things like Audi was saying, where, you know, if, if a company that has a lot of resources, money, time, energy is going to elected representatives and saying, vote for this bill or put this much money toward X or vote against this bill, that is lobbying. Um, and their explanation is probably like, it's going to hurt my industry, right? Like, <laughs> not a really yeah, compelling yeah. thing for a lot of people, but that is technically advocacy too. Uh, it, it's just feels less uh, altruistic. Well, yeah. And it's good that you mentioned them both as like an umbrella, because I think at least in how the general public or the deranged public that looks at political news, I guess, right? All of this kind of gets collectively, uh, how do I put this? Um group together as like special interests right whatever that means to whoever says it and that term sometimes gets tossed around pejoratively but i i'm not sure what term otherwise would be effective to use because especially in the advocacy world where we don't oftentimes have the same resources that corporate lobbying has the best you can do is to try to like gather data gather information do a public information push and especially when it's harder to stay organized these days, I guess advocacy is taking up a chunk of that work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what that immediately reminds me of is people who stand on the corners, go to college universities, etc., with uh, like just gore and viscera as uh, anti-abortion, like quote unquote advocates. You know, what yeah. I mean? that, sorry, that's jumped to mind. Well, well, terribly. No, I, mean, I, I think those technically count as advocates then. Yeah, I mean they do. It's. As I said, it, it's a tool that can be used in any way. I mean, a hammer is a tool. You can use it for a good purpose, like building a shelf, or you could use it to bash someone's head in. I mean, <laughs> one Very is true. a comparatively better use, I think, that most people would agree with, but you can use it for something like, you know, these really graphic images we see on those college campuses. Uh, 
which is why I think we toss around the idea of advocacy and it gets this really like, it is a good thing, but it has this altruistic kind of connotation to it that everybody talks about it like it's in, an inherent good. Mm. And it can be used for amazing and great things, but it, it just like lobbying isn't inherently bad. Advocacy isn't necessarily inherently good, is, if that makes sense. It's just a tool that can be used by any individual to do whatever they find important in, um, I guess, a political realm or even just a social realm. Right. right. And no, largely right. it's, uh, it, you're basically characterizing it by it being like public information is the main goal. Like making it something in the public consciousness is the goal of advocacy. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Right. And yeah. whether well, that's I... something you agree with or not, you know, I think most of us can agree that those graphic images are not exactly uh, something we want to see, but there is a group of people who clearly feel strong enough that everybody needs to know exactly what they're showing. Um, and so they do it, right? It's not our values, but it's somebody's. Yeah, I mean, in your experience, Gabby, like, have you seen more right-leaning or maybe causes that, you know, the four of us would disagree with, like trying to launder uh, their lobbying efforts or their uh, public interest efforts by calling themselves advocates? Or is that just um, a little too convenient for us? Um, I mean, I think we see that. I haven't personally in my work because I work in a very specific field around uh childcare related stuff and mm-hmm. it does it, child care tends to be more of a i'd say a bipartisan issue uh it doesn't tend to be that like polarizing uh but i think when it comes to right wing, we see this this is something that people can think of like we see this with like i mean the nra technically does this right i mean and that's something i don't necessarily agree with but um you see them with materials all the time about statistics about actual like gun deaths or you know whatever there might be um i I mean i think you can if you broaden your perspective about what what advocacy means these examples kind of jump out if you're in any way in the politics realm if that makes sense Mm -hmm. I, i guess like the last question i had like before we jump to campaigns i guess is like what does successful uh advocacy look like regardless of the goals Ooh, that's a good question i think if you take that perspective of the educating around your issue area, the ideal would be that everybody understands what it's about. They understand why it's important and they're willing to do something about that. They're willing to call on their reps. They're willing to tweet, um, to inform. I think, again, even if it's not done in good faith, uh, social media campaigns that get a lot of traction are effective advocacy. Um, Basically, once the word is out and you get a lot of people willing to share about it, talk about it, and do something about it, you've, I think, achieved your goal of being an effective advocate uh, on a very basic level, right? There's still like on the ground work of like, and organizing is another piece of this, but uh, in terms of advocating, it is just getting that information. Now, if you wanna parson out the lobbying piece, the success would be, you know, something like, if you're asking for money for a cause, getting that money actually put through in a budget would be effective lobbying, which is again, a form of advocacy. Uh, but really that information and knowledge is really the big the big piece in, in my opinion. See, that's where I think a lot of advocacy, and I guess like I'm talking about the, the things that the average person can do Uh, kind of falls short is I feel like a lot of people are willing to like they educate other people they say that they support a topic 
or uh, they say that they're an advocate for X belief. Um, but then there's always that follow through, right? Or like, I, I think maybe lack thereof, uh, kind of what you see sometimes is that people are down to, I, I immediately think back to the black squares on Instagram. Um, people who are like, hey, you know, I, I'm an advocate for this. I'm trying to spread this around and educate people on this. Um, so I'm just going to share this square and then I'm not actually going to like donate or like call my reps or like do anything to like follow up on it. Uh, it's kind of like performative uh, activism in a way. Yeah. Well, and there's also a person like, who I think of this. It's, it's also part of like sustained attention to an issue, right? It's great if you get that one push of like, this is important and you get a lot of people to talk about it off the bat. But really, that doesn't amount to anything if you're not continuing the push, and you're not continuing the, the interest in that topic area. So in terms of the black squares, you have all these people who, quote unquote, advocate, which I mean, technically, if they're sharing resources and information, they, they are bringing attention to the issue. But without that sustained effort, they're not making actual real change or keeping it in public consciousness enough to actually enact any difference in the community or their government or whatever. So, so hear me out, hear me out. See, what you're saying is, advocacy if you advocate for example on social media and start normalizing discussing a topic here we go again and oh yeah here we go well that's what i'm saying though is if you if you and your you know advocacy machine on social media make it normal for people to post about an object and a thing and educate people about a thing that's kind of accomplishing your goal well, of advocating and, and it's it's not that i uh that i want to rehash that discussion but i i guess it's good that you brought it up right. again that way and this is this is something that it's not like any smoke directed at you. And this is just like something that I wanted to bring up in the discussion is that how much of all of this is limited by the current norms of what we deem acceptable political engagement. Right. Um, and I guess the question is, like, is advocacy limited by being in the quote unquote marketplace of ideas? Right. Because in, in what Ryan's saying about. Uh, normalizing. I think that maybe the way I look at it less is that it's not that an opinion gets normalized. It's more like more demand seems to be created. And I guess a successful advocacy effort would be like changing uh, opinions and opinion polls. Like I that, that to me seems like the effective goal, right? So do you yeah. think that advocacy today is really limited by being in the modern marketplace of ideas and limits of what's considered acceptable? Or do you think that advocacy has the potential as of now to like actually change people's hearts and minds? I mean, I think it's a sticky thing because when you get into like, and I don't know if this is exactly the realm we're looking at talking about, but um, when you get into the normalization or socially acceptable realm and people are doing these things in order to quote unquote like be like more socially acceptable or that's what you need to do to look a certain way i think at that point you're not seeing people participating in movements and this is a personal opinion but i don't think you're seeing people participate in movements because they care as much about the issue but more so because they know they need to be on the bandwagon because this is what is socially acceptable and this is what is is socially accept um, expected at the time so I think in that space, if we're using this really basic definition of advocacy of informing about a topic area, and then that informing you know, hypothetically or potentially and ideally would move into movement on an issue area, 
Um, I think you see a lot of people who, if you're doing it because you want to be socially accepted and because it's normal and not because you've of the issue at hand necessarily, you've created something where people aren't actually learning properly about the issue. Um, if that makes sense, because the, the goal would be to learn about the issue, to think about it, and then to become a champion of that issue to inform others. Mm. Um, and if you're just doing it because, oh, I didn't post a black square, people are going to assume negative things about me. That's not really coming from a place of actually wanting to advance uh, social justice or racial justice or um, a place where you're trying to advance or cha actually change a system that is clearly broken. Uh, I think that maybe touches on what you're thinking of, but I'm, I'm not sure. I got off track. I'm sorry. No, no. I well think that was, a yeah. that was a useful digression. I think, um, I think more to kind of Adi's point about like market and demand and whatnot, I think when it comes to spreading information for positive ca causes, um, and, and this will apply to everything. This will apply to newspapers. This will apply to mailers. This will apply to social media, like what have you. There's always going to be those people, like, how do I put it? Uh, QAnon started on social media. Like, like how much custom tweaking exactly what information you get from what people and like blocking out anybody who's advocating for something that you don't agree with. And like, you know what I mean? Like there, there is a, an ineffective or I guess a limit to what advocacy can do because the way that social media is, and, and like I said, this isn't just a social media issue. Like people will just not subscribe to certain newspapers. They'll just not watch certain news channels. Um, as we all know, um, fox news i think we all avoid that uh they'll go out of their way to like kind of just completely cut off these quote advocacy channels um so i think that's kind of where you hit a limit with like a lot of the non face-to-face -face, uh forms of advocating and educating on the topic um and that does kind of ultimately impacted by back to Adi's point impacted by what people want to see like what's in demand what is what people are looking for right now I think to riff off what you were just saying, um, I agree with you 100% that face-to-face -face is just different. Like, hundred, like I've worked on however many campaigns. You're going door-to-door -door and talking to people one-on-one. -on -one, that's the most effective strategy. Um, you know, to a point where some campaigns have just decided not to call people at all, <laughs> you know, uh, essentially. But um, to kind of get, I guess, like the topic overall, absolutely it has a lot of potential to make advocacy very strong. Cause I would argue that social media has forwarded a lot of social causes, like the amount of like safe spaces for like LGBT folks on like apps, like TikTok and stuff that exist is amazing. And that's a lot of education about it. And you find like, you know, youth and, and young people who may not necessarily know much about like their identities and stuff. I'm learning stuff in those communities. So like advocacy there, absolutely amazing. Tyler got it before though, you know, QAnon. Yeah. Stuff like that. Bad stuff spreads too. And overarching, you know, whether or not you agree with the cause, disagree with the cause, um, these are still private companies. Like, social media is able to take down certain videos because they think they're, I mean, the most, like, I guess blatant example of this, or not blatant, but one of the bigger examples we've seen in recent times, Donald Trump, even if he runs in 2024, is not allowed on many social media platforms. Well, I, and that's going to actively affect the campaign. So you see these companies taking decisions and making decisions based on what they want to think their consumers want. And so, yeah, you do have some advocacy that is essentially limited because the companies don't want you to talk about it. 
So well, it's just something to keep in mind with that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was, I didn't want us to get back into the social media discussion, <laughs> although I guess it gets tied. My, it just keeps pulling us back. It, in, it keeps pulling us back. It never ends. <laughs> never but no getting away. Well, I, I can go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I, I did have a quick segue of just to say that Tyler talking and Ryan a little bit too brought up. Um, I've also participated in things that are not social media advocacy. Actually, most of the work I do is not social media advocacy. Um, and there is something we it's been different because of COVID because uh, we can't go to the state capitol. Usually, they literally will go to the state capitol, have meetings like. We bring people that are impacted by the programs to talk about them. Um, And from what I know, those are kind of, there's like an energy to those events, right? Rallies and things like that have like a a life to them that really pushes people to to do something. And and it puts a face to uh, these issues. One of the things we really focused on in like advocacy is storytelling when it comes to people in our field, because stories go a lot further than just data and facts or aggressive kind of points and then what you do you know you tell the story and then you follow up with numbers and information and like what you want them to do after the fact like an elected rep or anything like that um we did do and this is interesting away from social media but we did do uh events that were centered around uh virtual events so zoom calls things like that in terms of uh rallies and and those kind of issues and even those were neat because we got a lot of representation from people that usually wouldn't be able to show up at a capitol building um, and they had their own kind of spin to participatory information, like participation and uh, energizing. And we had a lot of really cool feedback about people who got to, we got to hear from, again, like people who typically don't get heard from because this is ex- increased some access. Um, you know, there's also access barriers in other ways, but just kind of getting away from the social media, they are other campaigns for advocacy events are very effective and have a, a kind of a life to them that you can't ignore in yeah. favor of social media. Mm-hmm. See, I think um, that's a really cool idea. Like having like people be able to video call in. See, he, here's the thing about like the internet is that, you know, we've, we've talked to death, the number of issues with using social media as some kind of organization thing, but let's just back up from social media and just think the internet as a whole. I mean, the ability for people to be able to get access to representatives, as long as it's in a, like a, an environment that's conducive to that, like a Zoom call set up by an advocacy organization, is very, it's actually, that's a super cool idea. Because I know a lot of younger people like Gen Z, even like younger millennials, um, we don't like talking to people. That's such a weird way to word it. It's like that meme, like people hate answering well, we, the phone. I was about to say, we certainly don't answer our phones. So you're nuts if you think I'm answering my phone. Right. Oh, yeah, like people exactly. just willingly come onto the internet of their own volition. They like self choose to divulge that information via posting. So in that sense, it is useful to collect information. And like with advocacy, the goal being to get the word out, um, it's effective for that. And then you can really pull the numbers on like how this is doing. Because if your goal is to get the issue to the forefront, um, it's perfect for that kind of thing, especially with how quickly the information can disseminate. But right. you get your issue trending, you're winning. Right, right. But it's like I guess once it trends, what what comes next? That's that's the tricky part for me. That is a that is a very good, excellent point you bring up. And, that, and that's really why, like, I get jittery about the whole social media thing, or like how people discuss politics. I guess you know, aside from me being a crank. 
I guess it just always goes back to the, okay, so now that this issue is at the forefront of the public consciousness, aside from posting, what comes next? Right, because we do see some issues um, which um, you know, unfortunately haven't gotten as far as we want them to that did kind of start off as like, you know, hashtag slogans, mm-hmm. you know, if you come to mind. But yeah, so, you know, getting yourself on the trending page, shoving yourself into the forefront of the social media is one thing. Then how do you then take it and, uh, you know, turn it into, into, into action and, you know, help with stuff and like actually turn like big social media posts into like meeting with legislators and like having i mean gabby you'd be talking about your own job obviously but that's why i like gabby's job so much because it's just such a cool thing it's like taking that and turning it into a powerful thing i think that's what's missing from a lot of social media i guess i'm just keep going into social media why the fuck not um what's missing from a lot of different social media pushes is that follow-up of reach out to an organization uh, reach out to you know insert x advocacy group that has then set up a zoom meeting with your representatives that has then set up you know uh, a day where people are going to uh, hand out flyers or something like i think that's really the follow-through adi i guess in your opinion or to address your point is like that's the point of getting your your thing trending is so that you have like a hopefully a volunteer train that comes in off of that now whether or not that actually happens i, I mean that's, that's what organizing scary. is at the end of the day right is like okay whether it's the volunteer yeah. train whether it's like we get workers to unionize whether it's getting people out in the streets that that's the crux of what organizing is it's like okay let's get people to do something but as think... oh go ahead well you know, well you know it's funny i guess i can kind of speak from personal experience a little bit with uh let's get out and do something um because just funny enough uh, you know, I have a Twitter, and uh, on Twitter, I ended up meeting some people who are who identify as anarchists, and they talk about a lot of like direct action. Like I end up hearing a lot about like stuff going on in Las Vegas, or in these other cities, like direct action, like helping your fellow protester or helping, uh, you know, stuff like that, right? And honestly, that direct action thing is kind of what inspired me to launch my sock drive last year. Um, uh, so it's yeah that was I guess that's a case of like something from social media like motivating me directly to actually like take action and organize a thing where I've gotten like you know fifteen hundred soon to be sixteen hundred pairs of socks donated to different charities um, things like that so I mean I guess I don't know that's like a little personal anecdote well speak to us about uh, your experience then with um, your nonprofit because advocacy is one thing where like if we're concerned about an issue we can try to bring it to the forefront and then you directly went and started your own nonprofit so. Talk to us about that. You know, what finally pushed me to actually, you know, do something instead of just laying around the house all day. And I guess for me, I, you know, looked around and saw this problem of, you know, people in the Midwest, uh, it gets, you know, cold in the winter and people's, I mean, not to be gross, people's toes fall off because it's cold. Uh, You know, it's a serious problem and it happens to people every year. Um, And I was tired of seeing that. So I said, well, how about, well, what if I use my own personal networks and I use social media to try to gather socks up the best I can, especially because there's not, you know, I saw a need as well because there isn't any, I mean, there are other clothing drives, don't get me wrong, but nothing specific for socks and socks tend to get forgotten about because they're kind of considered, I don't want to say they're considered undergarments, but like, you know, they're considered something that people don't think of, you know, you think, oh, I need winter clothes. You think coat, you think hat, you think gloves. People don't really tend to think about socks. So I saw a hole, you know, a need, and if I could just gather as many socks as possible, 
and then give it to the organizations that can then get it to the people that need it, people who are you know struggling with um, housing or people who just in general can't afford pairs of socks. Um, you know, I thought that would, uh, it would fill a hole. The overall strategy was really like, um, cause what I'm trying to get at is you saw the need in the community. You saw where like exactly. the resources were not being properly distributed. So how I, I it's cool what you did. And like, I want to be able to plug the project towards the end, but I guess I'm like from a mechanical process of like, how did you get the organization up? And then how did you collect the socks? Do you want to share that well, for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Well, funny enough, social media was a big part of it. Um, specifically, I guess, so I'm someone who, you know, I've been involved in a lot of community organizations. Um, I tend to have kind of a large network on social media. Um, not, I'm not trying to brag. It's just, you know, I know a lot of people from a lot of different areas. So he knows them, media, folks. Was, he knows the people. Well, I, I, you know, I do. And uh, so um, putting the word out there saying, hey, this is something I'm doing because I want to solve this problem. I want to do this thing. I want to help with X thing. Um, you know, I use social media to get the word out. And I was really touched and surprised by how enthusiastically people you know jumped on like i said one one family who are funny enough friends of my grandparents i'm not gonna name names but um who i you know had not talked too much directly in maybe 15 years <laughs> and all of a sudden you know they, they're sending me 72 pairs of socks in the mail one one of my funny enough like one of my grandparents neighbors um showed up to their house while i was there with this bag of like 300 pairs of socks that they had gathered from their neighbors and their friends at their church and i just i i was just so awestruck at like so you know, literally word of mouth there. was able to like pull the resources yeah, yeah i would argue it was more yeah. word of mouth because it's not exactly like a whole bunch of i drew a whole bunch of new people in using social media it really was just me activating my own network of people and my friends around me and you know them supporting me in this thing i was doing so yeah, I guess yeah. It kind of is. It does kind of fall in more word of mouth, just word of mouth through social media. If that I makes sense. It, I think I think that kind of shows how we can all leverage our own networks to enact some kind of change, right? Because most most things happen after a, a a few people get together and they decide it's worth something, and, and it's kind of this kind of ties back to advocacy because when you become a really strong, solid champion for one thing. And you talk about it so often, you know, the people in your network or people who care about you or know you are going to usually feel at least somewhat compelled to try to help you with that goal. Like maybe socks don't speak directly to exactly. these people, but they do speak to Ryan. And so people are going to go who care, care about him and think he's a good person. Like, you know, I could help. I could pitch in and help Ryan out. And I think we vastly underestimate how strong our network can be and how the you know further how that can further out so if ryan gets himself who's really passionate about his project and maybe he gets four or five friends who are super passionate about his project and they tell their networks and they're like huge champions and they talk about it all the time it also increases the likelihood that people that know them are going to become involved like it's it really is a spillover effect it's you gotta get care and care for a sustained amount of time about a specific thing and I think people will get on board. It's this kind of poppy advocacy where people just kind of throw something out there into the void and then they don't really follow up on it, which I don't right. think is highly effective. Trying to get the the viral tweet, so it were. Uh, no, I, I agree with you 100%. And uh, I think, I guess that's one thing I'd say to anybody who's listening. Don't, 
you would be surprised how many people want to help you with stuff. <laughs> like, if you want to make the world a better place, you'd be shocked um, how many people want to help you. So, well, and people you know, did come out thing. and help you. And like, I'm, I'm trying to oh, coax yeah. you to say, like, so what was the final count? And like, how many people do you think were able to be helped by that? Oh, you know what's funny is I should have these metrics memorized. Um, I do know that uh, twelve there were 1,236. So our first sock drive was focused around um, October, November. Uh, so we ran it over Halloween and stuff. You know, just before it starts getting really cold up here in Michigan. And uh, that was about t- over 1,250 pairs of socks. Since then, I've had the fortune of having like random, like a random high schoolers reaching out to me, being like, "Hey, we're collecting socks. Can you help get them to?" In fact, no joke. I actually haven't told anybody about this yet. One of my old teachers from high school reached out to me and said, "Hey, this club gathered a hundred pairs of socks. Can I meet you somewhere by your house to give you these socks?" And I'm like, "Absolutely." Uh, yeah, just this random. You know, that just happens through. I guess get so many Facebook messages now, so it's like. You know, it, you'd be shocked how much people want to help. <laughs> it's awesome. I One thing, just having followed your project the way that I have, is I think, kind of getting back to what we discussed earlier with uh, the following up on, like, encouraging people to actually, like, do something in response to your advocacy. Um, I think you had a pretty good, um, again, I don't know if you know these metrics and whatnot, but I think you had a pretty good turnaround of people who, um, saw what you were doing and then said, Oh, I'm actually going to do something now about that. Yeah, no, I do. Well, and the metric I really should have memorized is how many individual donors did I have? But, um, you know, it was a lot. It was at least, you know, for 200 pairs of socks, it was at least around like, you know, over 150 individual donors over throughout this time. Now, granted, you know, some of those donors gathered socks from their friends. So I really have no idea how many individual people, but it just shows how, you know, you'll never really know how many people. And you'll never really know how many people you're affecting when you do effective ad- advocacy, you know, building networks, building a mechanism to do good. You know, you really don't know your full impact. You probably never will. But yeah. it's a lot bigger than you think it is. I think that's that also speaks to some things. I know you had talked to me a little bit when you were getting this stuff started. And I guess one of my big, like, one of my big things when it comes to advocacy or trying to get people in on what you're doing is I genuinely feel like most people like to help others. I mean, it feels like a very general statement and sometimes can sometimes be undermined by things we see happening around the world. But I genuinely think that people do want to help. And if you give them an easy way to do it, they're more likely to do that too. Because there's also, we get busy, we get distracted. Um, So if you give someone an easy way, something simple like socks, like go to Amazon, go to this other, you know, Target, whatever, whatever website you're going to, you're going to have it. There's a wish list there, buy the socks, send them directly to me, I'll deliver them, right? That's a very quick kind of easy thing for somebody to do. And the more you remove those barriers, the more likely you're going to have people, more auxiliary people helping out. I mean, it's the same thing again with like kind of more formalized advocacy, where if you tell people, go call your representatives, they're much less likely to call their reps compared to if you give them a script and you say this day at this time, Precise. call your rep. Here's a list of your rep. Here, here's how you find your representative. Here's who they are. Here's their Twitter handle. Here's whatever. Here's some sample tweets. You just have to copy and paste them. Just put your rep in there. 
people are far more likely because we're busy and we're distracted and it's hard to stay yep. active in these kind of spaces. So you really got to remove those barriers to be, I think, to be an effective organizer, I guess, is kind of moving into that realm of, of this conversation. Yep. Uh, my brain immediately jumps to those text messages where it's like, respond back with this number to let your representative know that <laughs> such and such and such and such. Um, I get so many of those. Well, I mean, um, the text messages are okay. I think the worst ones are fundraising emails, low-key, because I don't know which Democratic group it does it, but they're the ones where it's like, John Ossoff is about to lose. We're losing bad in Georgia. But if you donate now, we <laughs> oh, might be able to turn yeah. this around. Like, that's, that's I, financial that, that fear-mongering is, is what that is. That's what that is. Uh, Ryan, I did have yeah. one more question about your effort because um, it's pretty cool that you had um, – you know, this project based on mutual aid that you were able to apply directly in the community. One thing that came to memory and I wanted to ask you about this is what in terms of, you know, how you were able to set this project up, it seems to me like at least you didn't have too many institutional hurdles to face. Um, because I'm remembering a story. I forget where this happened and I hope you guys remember, but it happened, I want to say Missouri or Maryland somewhere. Um, there was some kind of community food drive and they were serving meals to the homeless. I forget when. It was before the pandemic oh, for I sure. Heard about this. Yeah, you've heard about that. Okay, yeah. And yeah, like, happened in a few cities. Yeah, and the police would like seize the food and prevent it from being given out or taken by people who were trying to just eat. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's been a few instances of that. I can't think of any like that jumped to my head, but I've definitely seen that throughout the years growing up. I remember seeing you know people talking about that and how they'll prevent you from helping people. Yeah, do you think that you were in any position where someone would try to prevent you from uh, you know, doing that project for the community, or do you think that because you had local partners and because it involved some degree of e-commerce during the pandemic, no one really you know was opposed to that? Yeah, Not to sound conspiratorial, very, but you know. No, no, I, I, you know, I was very blessed. I, you know, I, I will always say I think the biggest hurdle that I jumped was my own intelligence, <laughs> um, and just not knowing how to do a lot of the stuff, um, learning how to use certain like you know forms of technology for the first time, um, and and all that. That was my biggest hurdle. But it, so institutionally, you know, we partnered with my organization just gathered the socks we then gave them to reputable well-known nonprofits in you know southeast michigan that then actually dispersed them to the different groups we were supporting whether that be like i said people who struggled with house um, homelessness um, housing issues um young children uh you know groups like that so we we gave them two groups because quite frankly i, I don't want to be the one who's handing out socks i like handing out socks to people but I think it's more valuable if you know other people already have well-established networks and and you know lifelines and direct links to these people. I'll just use their hard work and just get help them as much as I can. Um, so thankfully, I didn't have a huge uh, any huge hurdles. Um, thinking back, if there was anything, I thankfully I yeah thankfully I haven't had any huge hurdles. I think um, honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you are. I mean, sure, there are people who rip on homeless people, but, like, I don't think there's anyone out there that's really going to be bent out of shape because someone's giving people socks. Now, if you were running a nonprofit 
that uh, let's just say hypothetically operated in a state like Georgia that wanted to make sure that people were given water while they're waiting in line to vote, then suddenly it becomes institutional hurdles and um, you know oh, systemic forbid, putting things systemically putting things in your way to stop you from being able to do your thing. So yeah, because yeah, I mean I also wanted to have a bit of a discussion on like institutional hurdles to advocacy and organizing. Um, but we can get into that, I think, after we have the conversation on campaigning, because I think um, myself, Ryan, and Tyler have had some experiences. Um, we have some horror stories from 2016 as well. Um, Boy, do we. Even, uh, be- even before that. Even before then, yeah. And I 2014, think... I have stories from. Yeah, I've, I've got one bad one from 2015. Yeah, but... I guess it's good I learned how to use the bleep tool before I edit this, because I'm going to have to at least bleep out a couple of these things. But I promise I will be on my best linguistic behavior. Yeah, and I, I don't want to also give the impression that, like, you know, getting involved in the system is inherently fruitless. I just wanted to have, like, an honest look at, like, what works, what isn't working, and, like, what's going on so far. Uh, but we should we should talk about campaigning, I guess, because as most liberals tend to conceive of their politics or particularly how we talk about politics in America. It largely is um, posting and voting that seems to make up the bulk of uh, political engagement or lack thereof. So if you can work on a campaign, that's probably the closest a look the average person has aside from, you know, being a party apparatchik. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the biggest things looking at just generalized uh, advocacy versus campaigning is that campaigning has a very measurable metric as to whether Votes. or not you were successful. Yeah. Either your candidate wins or your candidate doesn't, or you know you hope it's close uh, if you do lose. Um, so I think the thing, I guess talking about what works and what doesn't, just from my experience, um, and I've had like a chance to be a part of everything from state campaigns to like federal campaigns. Uh, I even had limited experience with presidential campaigns. Um, I think what was always the most effective is just knock on somebody's door. Like I, I feel like campaigns nowadays have kind of decided to go away from the traditional door knocking method where they send out volunteers to knock on people's doors, which for anybody listening is not illegal. Uh, Despite what anybody tells you, it is not illegal for a campaign to send people door to door. Um, It is a protected version of free speech. um, And I think it's silly that. Oh my God. uh, The amount of times I've gotten the cops called on me, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I know many people who've had the police called on them um, because people got it in their head that their no soliciting sign means that, campaigners can't um knock on the door but that that is not the case i cannot knock on your door randomly to sell you something but i can knock on your door to inform you that government is important and the people who run your government are important um etc and and i think that's honestly where i have personally seen some of the most positive uh results is when you put when you get out there and you connect with someone on a human basis Um, Because there's always, like, the social media ads. There's always, like, the big events, the big speeches. And and I'm sure they factor into the metric somewhat. Uh, I'm not going to say that those efforts are completely pointless. You do have to stay relevant, ultimately. Um, But I really think 
my mind immediately jumps to that story about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, where she talks about, um, well, specifically where they have her shoes from all of her door knocking when she was up against Joe Crowley back in 2018. Um, because that was the most valuable thing, at least for her campaign, and she ended up winning because of it. And I think it's because they prioritize that door-to-door human connection. Um, so if you were to ask me what I think is the most effective when someone's running for office, I think it would be the knocking door to doors. Um, I don't know how that translates to things like nonprofits, but I know I, I kind of, I was going to ask, cause I see two main intersections where, where advocacy and campaigning tie. And I think it's when the candidate has to draw on an endorsement from an advocacy group. Right. So whether it's seeking the endorsement or whether it's like trying to go to that group to try to create a uh, constituency that's where that intersection comes in at least in liberals well actually either liberal or conservative spheres if you're a democrat and you you know you're trying to get the league of conservation voters on your side you're going to at least uh campaign to some extent on what they want you know what i mean oh yeah yeah right exactly no i think you know it's funny with with door knocking too tyler i know you're making the point that that's like and it is. It's absolutely, I agree with you, the most effective way to forward an issue, to get a candidate, um, you know, get candidate support. Um, but there are barriers to that, too, because even though somebody has a no soliciting sign, it's technically legal to knock on their door. Chances are they'll probably tell you to piss off because <laughs> um, they don't want to be bothered. And, uh, you know, I've been chased off by many different kinds of guard animals. <laughs> including a guard chicken which actually like came at me aggressively that was a whole that was a whole thing um so there are barriers like it's very hard for some people to just go up to a door that they don't know knock on it like there's there's a, a certain level of courage that needs to be there and i'm just i i, yeah, I agree I and i i'm saying this as someone who's tried to work in field ops for campaigns before is i'm just really not good at cold calling, cold texting, or knocking on someone's door and trying to like persuade them. And something that I'm curious about, and I just wasn't able to find an answer before this episode is when did liberal constituency groups and campaigns begin relying on door knocking as a main thing? And something that I wanted to get your guys' takes on is um, that's a Midwestern thing. You guys is, um, is, I think there's something to be said for the lack of participation in civic groups or uh, social clubs or even like uh, advocacy groups and unions, right? Where I think, you know, even if you didn't open your door for a campaigner, if you probably were a factory worker and your union was having a meeting and whatever candidate came through to the union meeting to talk to the guys, you know, would that still be a way for you to engage the candidate? Because I think town halls, because of the potential for being directly confronted by voters, is an effective way for the candidate to, you know, not only deliver a message, but to like really get a sense of who they're up against and vice versa. That has diminished. And I think there was at least a couple of years ago, there was this report about how like no uh, candidates or representatives even attend their town halls if someone does show up, it's like five people. And that is very true. Yeah. And I think that campaigners are kind of relying on door knocking and uh, canvassing and phone calling 
like it's a fact of life. And maybe it, I mean, I'm not denying that it's part of a campaign's lifeblood. You want to get people who wouldn't find out otherwise. But the lack of civic participation may be a critical factor in this. I mean, I kind of, we mentioned, I meant reverse. We touched on this earlier a little bit, but I think the advancing in technology and as much as COVID has completely sucked ass, um, to put it lightly, Mm -hmm. it has pushed everybody into this sphere of being more comfortable with uh, telecommuting and doing things like that and running events um, and things like town halls in a virtual format or at least being accommodating to that. So I feel like if if candidates tried to take advantage of that, it might, as I mentioned before, it might remove a barrier to people attending these kind of things or participating in them. I'm not saying it's like a fixing the problem. I think there's a lot of work otherwise to do on it, but it could be one way to get people engaged with it without, you know, having too big of an ask for people to come. And I think it's an opportunity that's really salient right now and needs to be taken advantage of before it's kind of gone. See, I think, okay, uh, call me crazy. I had this idea years ago um, that just popped in my head. Why don't more elected officials slash candidates that want to become elected officials why don't they just do straight up q a live streams like i understand that like get on twitch and be no they yeah, do, like, get they on do. Twitch. yeah like aoc does uh tiktok lives like a lot of yeah. canceled tiktok lives well and it, then um i feel like yeah, aoc has a certain uh culture war dimension to her live streams right but I guess like when Bernie oh, okay. did the call-in show on on um, Tom Hartman's show and stuff like that, I think there's always been forums, but I've just never been able to understand the degree of participation. Well, yeah, and it's hard to – I guess one thing that is somewhat tricky about um, relying on the internet as kind of your way that you're pushing – Uh, And I think one way that this kind of demonstrates itself is through the fact that a lot of socialist candidates, um, leftist candidates have taken to the completely publicly funded campaign model Mm -hmm. where they use something like act blue to collect small donations from individuals across the country. And, you know, you'll end up with these situations where someone has an an incredibly high amount of individual donors um, and their internet presence is decently developed. But then when it comes to like people in their district, like who actually are going to get a chance to vote yes or no on this candidate. Uh, it's an unfortunately low amount where you end up with these leftists ultimately losing. Um, I think, I think the reason that door knocking and, and again, you know, with my limited experience, why I think it is one of the most effective ways to reach out is because at bare minimum, you're guaranteeing that you're reaching people who are actually going to get to vote it for you at some point. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I have always said, if I ever become like a U.S. Senator, if I ever become you know, any kind of elected official, uh, I want to do live streams like on the reg. Like I, I want to do them. I want to be out there. I want to use the internet as a way to continually communicate what I'm doing, what I want to do. Um, but I think ultimately more targeted things like the, like the, well, the cold calling, the door knocking again, the hard stuff. I'm not going to deny how difficult it is mm-hmm. um, for a person to do. That's the way that you actually make sure that you're reaching out to a voter who's going to get a chance to decide your fate, ultimately. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Tyler. Um, And I think it's super important because in our, you hear a lot of people talk about elected reps who are not from the area, especially house reps, right? AOC is a big one, I think. And they 
don't like what they're doing or they're frustrated with them. And every time I hear that, my first thought, and this, you know, might not be the nicest thing in the world, but my first thought is like, why, why should they care? <laughs> You're not in their district, right? If this person is wildly leftist or, or whatever it might be, the only, I think the only reps that I think we need to be you need to really be pushing against um, in terms of not your district would be people in leadership positions, right? So the majority leaders and, and, and the like. But honestly, I think that connection with your actual community is super important. And you made me think of something, but uh, leveraging community organizations. So uh, the first one popping into my head is like a community church, right? Because that can be a really strong center for the people who are in that community or space, especially like rural areas. Um, if you go there and you speak directly to the people where they're congregating, haha, <laughs> congregating, um, whether it's a church or it could be any other, Ooh. yeah, any other, any other spaces, but recognizing where your, uh, where the lifeblood essentially, the gathering spaces of your community are is really, really important because if you're just kind of talking out uh, without being aware of what that is, it makes you feel disconnected from that space in that community. Like you don't really know where people go. You don't really know what's important to them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. Well, and I think um, if you are lucky enough to be a candidate that represents a district, I think this is the kind of the category that AOC falls into, um, where if you represent a district where a sizable amount of that district is technologically literate, um, is able, like understands how to get onto these live stream services or heck, heck is even like a part of organizations that um, already use online meetings as a sort of uh, like gathering place or meeting space, then you uh, very easily, like a candidate can tap into that. And, and I think, um, I don't know how to explain it. It would be nice if the internet evolved in such a way where we were able to, on a more consistent basis as people, meet up in an online setting uh, where a candidate could kind of just slip in. Because that's a big thing. I can't, candidates can get your emails, they can email you, they can get your phone number, they can get your address and door knock you. They can't force you into like a casual conversation where they're actually like able to talk to you through the internet. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what's missing through it with internet organizing is that there's no way that you could just be on your laptop and you get a random phone call from such and such candidate. And then boom, suddenly you're in their live stream where you're kind of in this town hall format where they're answering questions. Like, like there's no compulsory way to do that. So drawing people in, especially like young people or slash, I mean, even older people, cause older people still vote. Um, drawing them in is another big hurdle where it's like it's nice to try to engage people that way but like i don't know it's just tricky with the internet i, I kind of got off on a tangent there but no i, I think it well, was a okay digression i just i think for what it's worth the actual civic town hall as an institution might need to be brought back because as i, I, I agree wholeheartedly yeah because I, I think that you know it's bringing back town halls yeah but even then like outside of just candidate town halls and elected official town halls the amount of public forums to discuss issues, not even political issues, right, uh, is extremely limited. We're facing an epidemic of loneliness, uh, especially lately. Um, involvement in social groups, unions is down, stuff like that. And I think something that 
characterizes older generations versus where we are today is that uh, degree of community uh, participation. Because even if you didn't uh, have the advocacy to, you know, work behind a candidate, they would have to chase you guys down at the bars, at the union halls, at the churches. You know what I mean? And you've you've met with these people a bunch of times. So at least the community connection is there to an extent. And I think to the degree that we try to bring back some degree of progressive or left wing political change, it's also important to try and give people back a degree of humanity. No, I agree wholeheartedly. I think, uh, not to cut you off, but I think, and a lot of that has to do with just how our society has changed. I mean, our grandparents knew all their neighbors. Right, right. Name a single one of your neighbors. (laughs) No one in our generation knows their neighbors. Um, And so it's one of those, yeah, you're 100% right. I don't know. There are probably other people who know far more about um, about this topic than I do um, in terms of like what has caused the change for us to be so isolated one of us, <laughs> you know, uh, people are just listing. I'm sure. I'm sure right now, our listeners are just like listing how many neighbors they know in their head. Yeah, right if now. you do know I your know, neighbors, shout out to you. <laughs> I know all three of the older women who live in my apartment complex with me, and they are very friendly. Props to you. Props to you. And that's so powerful, though, because like you know, you hear about um, you know Bangladeshi Americans who all live in the same apartment complex banding together to you know to basically unionize against their landlord who treats them like shit yeah that was tenant like, organizing yeah yeah that's, that's tenant organizing like that's what's missing from a lot of i hate to say it, a lot of millennials <laughs> and well, it's what's missing from a lot of libs and it's what's missing from a lot of uh, zoomers is that you need to you need to be comfortable with like approaching strangers and being like hey we're both human yeah. you should care about this issue let's go do it together right and, i don't and, mean um Oh, oh sorry, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll follow up later. Well, I... I, I think a, a big part of that is the fact that millennials move so often. I mean, so my, my brother and I, you know, we're twins. Um, I believe between us, we've lived in like 12 to 13 like different homes. I, I have lived in um, homes before. Yeah, life. permanence I, of I community has not been a, con- uh, a concept for me. I, I've lived in India. I've lived here. I think within the past three years, like what I went from being a college student to living in New Orleans, working a corporate job to moving back in with my parents and then moving in with my girlfriend. Right. So at at two places. Well, I think that, you know, I I've spoken a lot about precarity and I think that, you know, at what point historically precarity came as magnified as it did. Maybe that's also the push on where campaigning got worse. But whether it's, you know, how we fight against precarity or how we fight against isolation, like my message to uh, my internet, le- my fellow internet leftists, and especially to myself as one of those people, I'm I'm not perfect. And I do believe that, you know, let, let ye who has no sin cast the first stone. So I'm casting it back at myself is the whole point of the Marxist tradition, the whole idea of class solidarity is that we would compare notes. And that's why he spoke on the conditions of French peasants and the working class of England is because these people were so socially intertwined that he saw this as the condition in which class consciousness would arise is all these people comparing notes of, damn, our labor conditions are shit. Damn, the boss also treats you like shit. Damn, we feel disposable. Let's do something about it. 
that right for what whether intentionally or unintentionally that sense of social cohesion is rapidly eroding and it makes mm-hmm. even the acceptable uh th- strategies that we've talked about so far of advocacy of nonprofits of uh campaigning and voting it it makes it incredibly uh tough so for everyone who's talking about when the revolution happens or lack thereof we we're still not at the point where we can build effective machines to keep candidates winning you know what i it's mean it's like bro gen z <laughs> well i i understand the frustration I feel like I can comment on Gen Z and millennials. Uh, we won't even talk to each other, let alone organize a fuck. Uh, sorry, a flipping uh, revolution. It's like, fam, you got to be able to answer a phone call and make your own doctor's appointments <laughs> before you're able. I mean, to start, I mean, yeah, like... we're not to like make those boomer jokes come true, but that is a a literal loss that we've been feeling. Is people are increasingly infantilized and living more and more precariously, and are more and more alienated uh, literally from their free time and from one another. So that has to be critically overcome. Yeah. I want to say something too. This is, I don't want to put us on social media again. So this is like trying not to do that, but it almost begs the question though, of how much do you need to know the people around you when you can connect with people who are a lot like you almost immediately on social media, right? Like, I think that has to be part of it, too. And again, don't want to harp on it too much. But like, do you need to know your neighbors who may or may not be people that accept you for who you are or have similar viewpoints than you if you could just do that while by picking up your phone, right? So I think there's also that kind of piece that gets in the way. Yeah, um, Gabby, we will never escape social media because, fun fact, yeah. we're on a podcast. We are social no, and media. That's, and yeah. that's my nightmare. That is my nightmare once I realized it, is that a podcast is nothing more than a long post. <laughs> well, um, just a yeah, random The social media has been in the house question. the whole time. Oh, gosh. Oh, uh, okay, I'll let, I'll let you ask okay. my question, and then I did promise Twitter some campaign horror stories. Okay, and and I'm down to give them. I just... One last thing I guess I want to say is I think this is where we get to the point where um, not necessarily organizations that are affiliated with like a political party. um, So not necessarily like the young Democrats of America or anything, uh, but like you've got organizations like the DSA, um, which I'm not sure if you've talked about the fact that you're a member on the podcast audio. I, I think know, I said I that in episode six. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I recently became a member as well. Um, hey. I have a monthly subscription. I think this is where organizations like that are really going to have to start filling in that gap because they're going to be the ones stepping in to say like, okay, you've engaged with leftists on social media. Um, you, you know, care enough to be a part of the DSA. So now, you know, talk to your neighbors about socialism, like talk to your, uh, take what you've done. It's again, kind of tying back to advocacy, take what we're talking about here and then put some action behind it. Um, because that's Can ultimately I... how we're going to reconnect and like be able to really get back together to discuss, uh, political topics and kind of re-engage people. But go ahead, Ryan. Hello, sir. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? I don't know. Are you a union member? Are you paying your dues? <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> but yeah, it, so to me, organizations like the DSA, um, they kind of in a way are going to become the 
the like the sock drive but for politics you know what i mean yeah and i see them how do we make the world a better place it's going to be through stuff like that right and a lot of people look at the dsca very cynically especially these days and for what it's worth i didn't expect the dsa to bring the revolution today i think what it really has the potential to be is the first forum for actual people to engage one another and different and because it's a loosely uh base collection of chapters in practice you know different chapters are able to conduct different projects and they take different approaches because they're more they're somewhat decentralized in their approach at least in my experience so far but at least with the mutual aid and the issue advocacy and at least the little electoral work that they do in trying to get the uh their endorsed candidates uh out it's something it's 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 something hearkening back to that tradition. And if you take issue with how the DSA has conducted itself lately, you know, it's okay to criticize. But if you remain a poster, morality aside, you're just going to continue to be miserable. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, there's a whole – and maybe this could even be a podcast topic because I've noticed a lot of it happening – um, where you've got these groups that, you know, they again, they're pushing leftist politics, they care about leftist issues, um, and then they'll maybe do one or two things, and then suddenly the whole leftist movement wants to, like, cancel them and, like, well, make and, them And not that's the thing, thing is, anymore. like, th- there is no left. I think, not to quote Matt Chrisman again, but we're still in a pre-left phase. We're all not, I mean, again, people want to talk about anarchist versus communist beef. Neither of you are in a position of power right now. So why why are you just at each other's throats on the internet? You know, do you get what I'm saying here? And yeah. oh, I totally get what you're. And and, I, and there's there's definitely things to be said, but for what I've seen, what I've seen of it is it sporadically rose after 2016. People's energies were all over the place. They're still all over, all over the place because we're alienated because there's the lack of information organization has been stunted for so long right that you will see some idiocy at times and you might see that some of the members that got elected might not be performing up to what we expected and that's reasonable to be upset about it but i think it's just worth expressing for your own relief that this happened in 2016 this happened like five years ago there's still right. a lot to be yeah. done and it's okay yeah, to be no. upset about it. But y- I know that the change is very urgently needed, but because we're human beings, it's going to take some time. Speaking of 2016. Yes. Uh, maybe yes. Let's talk about those horror stories. Of, uh, I, I, I finally let's deliver on what we promised. All right. Who wants to go first? I mean, Ryan already started with I, being chased by going, chickens. I ain't going first. I ain't going first. <laughs> All right, all right. I'll, I'll go with twenty. So, I guess, do you guys want to hear about a local race, or do you want to hear about presidential race? Local. Let's start local. Yeah. Local. Okay. So, uh, back in twenty fifteen, um, which odd? No, sorry, twenty fourteen. Oh goodness, whatever. An even year because they were electing. It was a state house candidate. Um, God bless him. Really nice guy. Um, unfortunately, he didn't win. Uh, I'm not going to you know, name names or anything. Uh, but he actually ended up being the first state race that I ever had a chance to work on. 
Um, and it was like the second or third time I had ever door knocked. I am taken over to this neighborhood. Uh, and I was told that it would be a really easy neighborhood because this is his neighborhood. The It's the neighborhood the gentleman lived in. And apparently he knew um, a bunch of people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but correct me uh, if I'm wrong. Had he not already been like elected to office in that local area? So it should yes. have been easy, right? Yes. He, he was a representative for the village that he lived in as well. Um, so a name that people should know. Um, but ultimately, his name didn't end up mattering here. Because So what happened was, I get given this house. Um, and the way, you know, for those who haven't campaigned before, uh, you get you got an app on your phone, it maps out the house, spits you out an address, and then you just go knock it. And you rate it with how well it went. Um, I, I'm walking up to the door. And to be honest, I it, it's kind of a cool-looking house. The guy's got, like, some interesting decor, like Halloween decorations up still. It was no, uh, November at that point. Um, but it looked like the kind of house that at least is somebody who's a little more, I guess, free thinking, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I'm kind of confident, little teenage Tyler is more confident with how it's going to go. Uh, so I knock on the door. The guy opens it. It's a, it's an old white man with a mullet. Um, he, uh, I just explain that I'm there on behalf of one of his neighbors. Uh, I go with the little script and he says, I'm not interested. And then, you know, he shuts the door. Which is like, okay, that's par for the course. Turn around, walking back. Uh, meet back up with the gentleman who's knocking the neighborhood with me. We just so happened uh, that I ended up, uh, we ended up stopping to talk in front of this house that I had knocked. So the guy, the gentleman with the mullet, opens up his door, steps out onto his porch, and he yells at the two of us. He says, hey, you two. Um, I turn over. I see that he is... Uh, in his boxers, he has decided to come out to the front yard uh, in his underwear. Uh, in his hand, he is waving around a book. Um, and the was he wearing boxer briefs or with, like straight up like Lucy's boxer briefs? Oh dear lord! Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it was, it was something. Um, and Thank well, it's the guy <laughs> that I was, the Thank gentleman that I was knocking questions. with, God bless him. Didn't know the experience that I had had at the door. Uh, he didn't know that the guy had shut the door on me. So he goes into campaign mode, uh, walks toward the gentleman, like to talk to him about the candidate. And, and I almost said, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just say that his name is Nick. I was like, oh, Nick, no, 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 no. Uh, but he goes up to the guy and he's like, hey, I'm here, here to talk about X candidate. Uh, the guy with the mullet in his underwear, who's now halfway across his own yard, by the way, where all of his neighbors can see him in his own underwear. Uh, pulls out this book and he shoves it in the other campaigner's face and he sees, uh, oh, like, do you see this definition of solicitation? And you see he starts yelling the dictionary definition of solicitation at the top of his lungs, pointing to his no solicitor sign. Uh, for a moment there, my guy tries explaining that, you know, that's not soliciting what you're doing for your candidate. Um, meanwhile, I'm standing like 30 feet back, like the guy, like, just panicked out of my mind. I was like, is he about to swing at my other, at the other guy I'm knocking with? Like, am I about to have to break up a fight? Uh, but no, luckily mullet man back down. Well, he didn't really back down just by the guy I was talking with ended up turning around saying, have a good day. Have a good day. The guy's screaming about soliciting as we're walking away saying, have a good day. Turn around. This guy literally walked. We were down the street at this point, but he walked out to the middle of his road shouting about soliciting in his underwear. 
in his own neighborhood. Yeah, the lack of self-reflexivity is is surprising to me that like uh okay, he's he's upset that you guys came by his door and honestly he could have closed the door but like in your underwear, bro, really? You, this is why you need to know no. your neighbors so you can have the appropriate amount of shame when you walk out into your yard with only there you go. Also, I would warn my neighbors like, yeah, don't go on, don't go knock at that guy's door. He's fucking crazy. I I have a an equally weird one like that uh, that I can pitch in. I've got a couple that I wanted to share, but I didn't oh, have too many like uh, adventures of Nick Redshirt. I didn't have like someone I didn't have too many people who like I would approach and they were mean to me. Most people would just, you know, say I'm not interested and like leave it at that. And that's fine. I wasn't exactly an effective um, canvasser either. But for what it's worth, like I prefer interactions where it's like, no, thank you. And it's like, okay, I didn't go anywhere, but at least, you know, no one was mean. But I think the worst one I had was we were doing canvassing like outside the library uh where i was campaigning for like a local representative yes i think and, i remember this yes and i was with um another canvasser i'll just say that they were the typical you know uh it's nick redshirt nick redshirt's the other canvasser uh it's He'll not it's not it's not it's right? not nick redshirt no 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 no. this is um okay. this is someone else but i'll just say that they're ostensibly like the typical college liberal who like will give you a lecture on why something's racist but like not have the gravitas or like uh common sense to like not delve into a college answer in on the street so the guy who we were about to canvas looked like bill clinton i swear to fucking god this man looked like bill clinton in like a leather jacket and like dad jeans and i'm like yeah he might he might be a solid democrat so i'll i'll canvas him reach out to him i hand him the uh the brochure and the candidate I was working for was Asian. And this guy goes straight up into it. This man turned from, like, Irish white to red in, like, it, it, like zero to 60. And was just like, well, why would I vote for him? He wasn't born here. It just went straight into it and then continued to walk on with his day. Kind of embarrassed that he went on an outburst but, like, wasn't going to admit that he felt bad about that. And then the person I was with just goes straight into, like, elizabeth warren shenanigans of like excuse me sir you can't say that that's racist and you need to be aware of your white privilege and she like runs Ooh. after him to like give him the robin d'angelo talk and i was just like so embarrassed i was so embarrassed no. and i was glad i was reaching the top I of my shift i never did it again though i bet that guy is scared of any fucking cameras as he comes up because he doesn't want to deal with that bullshit but i just i feel i don't know what was worse like me like not following that up or like the person who went to scold him like i feel <laughs> no that's totally fair i think yeah, I don't know. I think that guy, if I was, I don't know, I guess if I was a racist guy who was a little flustered because I accidentally got my racism out, if some fucking college-age person chased after me in my car to, like, scold me about being racist, I would never be racist. But I don't think the scolding man. helped Holy him shit. change his mind either. Oh, you know, he wouldn't change his mind, but he would, he'd be a lot more fucking careful the, if he'd say that around me. I, I guess, but, like, it, it's good at, like, shaming people, right? But, like... We were never going to get that guy to begin with. And, like, the whole scolding thing, I think, just turned people off to us being there anyways. Well, yeah. if, he, if he didn't I happen to I'm... be the shameful one and he happened to be a little bit, like, a lot like Tyler's guy in his boxers, you know, there's, like, a serious, and people can do some 
kind of whack shit. So yeah, like, there's, there's like a risk there, th- right? Like you go chasing after the guy who just yelled something racist. Like, I don't. Mm-mm. Yeah, there's a level of like background insanity believe- in America, and I just feel like you shouldn't chase it either. You know what I mean? I can't. I can't believe you just watched. You watched a college student chase after Bill Clinton to his car. What the fuck? I think. Oh my god. I think. Um, uh, Adi, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I also had an opportunity to kind of. It was the day of the election, working for that same candidate that you're referencing. Um, where I was at my own personal voting location. And I did because, you know, the candidate put his face on his literature, as most candidates do. Um, I did have a woman who I later found out that she was actually a a candidate for the local school board. Um, She comes up to me, like, because she sees I'm handing out stuff. And I hand her a a card, you know, showing the candidate. Um, And she says, oh, is he, is he from here? And I was like, oh, like he lives in this community. He's a local pastor at that community or like, you know, just like little, like he's part of this community. And then she's like, oh, but is he from here? And I was like, well, he lives in this city and he lives in whatever. Like I, I ended up forcing her to ask it like three times before I finally said like, like I, I believe he immigrated here from, uh, insert Asian country. Um, but it is that that was I knew that she was going to be like shitty about it the moment that she asked the first time. But it was kind of nice, like forcing her to have to re-repeat it. And I just keep giving more and more reasons why this person is an integral member of the community, uh, regardless of their skin color and their nationality. Um, it it just yeah, seems like the dumbest reason to oppose someone is just like, but were they born here? And I'm like, I mean, the eligibility, I... the eligibility requirements dictate that, right? And you're still trying to cancel them, like, on election day? Okay, good luck with that. I am – I have a bizarre, like – I wouldn't even – like, a horror story, but just a straight-up bizarre story from that same campaign. Fun fact, all three of us worked on the same Asian person's campaign. Um, And I was at a local community college by myself tabling for the candidate. And I was, again, totally by myself. I'm a – fucking like 20 year old kid <laughs> sitting there and one of the people who she worked there she was a janitor right there. not sorry not custodian you get what i'm saying and you know she just had questions and like she was genuinely curious about the candidate didn't discount him first off for being like a you know a, a, you know, a non-white candidate didn't like but she really wanted me to understand that germans had it really bad in world war ii too and she huh? really wanted me to know. Oh my lord! She really wanted me to know. You know, a lot of Germans were forced out of the Sudetenland. I was like, "Fucking what?" <laughs> Like, what? like what is I guess she really wanted to be like an epic, like alt right person she, to you, but like couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, she just had a lot of opinions I, on why Germans got the shit under the stick. And she wanted to do the Ben Shapinas like, thing. She wanted to do like, it so bad, but like, Sam, he is. Man, he is running in 2016, not 1945. I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah, There's love, nothing he could do about that. I love when people, like, not love. I, I say love like it's highly amusing when you talk to people and they're just like, they're living somewhere else. Like, you're having one conversation and they they are not hearing a damn thing you're saying. They're having a completely different conversation with you. Like, like to me, man, like, that is, is a specific, army. yeah, like, this is a specific brand of, like, of, like, just, 
wild shit of like we're not even speaking the same language right now i don't know how this happened but it's happening and what sucked is she hung out at my table for an hour so everyone else felt really awkward coming by the table even and so she literally like fucking for an hour? she like cock blocked me basically <laughs> like there were other college kids who were like interested in knowing but, but i bet that just like janitor i'm pretty sure she was on the clock too <laughs> like she was just spending her shift trapping this poor boy at a desk i was it was it was just bizarre it, it just sounds like uh you know liberal campaigner gets owned like type shit and that's what they thought they were doing and also like just i've noticed like when you get confronted by a right winger while you're out doing field ops so to speak they have a different like they've already had an argument with you that you were not present for because it happened in their mind palace and i think i had one where like someone just really wanted to like turn me into an anarcho-capitalist and i'm like yeah this guy has child porn at the house i'm leaving i'm not fuck. i'm not fucking dealing with this like because like i I, because like you know the database they give you sometimes uh is has good info sometimes it doesn't and it says oh strong democrat let me go knock the door i don't know if it really was the guy on the on the registry or not but you go in and you're like hey i'm knocking uh candidates uh i see that you're a strong democrat and i just wanted to and they just go in on like, well, what if markets controlled everything? And I'm like, nope, nope, not not here for this one. Bye bye. I think um, it's always the most interesting when you are working for somebody in a political campaign, and you have that person that you're you you know you started the conversation because you're trying to educate them about your candidate, and they decide that they're going to try to make you a Republican. Like in that moment, yeah, in that moment, you as. You you who's there i i have signed my soul to campaign for this democrat for at least you know a day for at uh, least 10 bucks an hour the one that convinces me bro y'all got paid no, i'm just kidding um, i have a funny story about that yeah but yeah like it, it's just so interesting in a million settings i mean whether you're running the college democrats at your local university or if you're working on a political campaign those people who just want to try to change your opinion completely are just i I don't know how to explain it like i think they're some of the oddest people in the world okay i got a couple other uh horror stories i think mainly pertaining to working with other campaign staffers um ah I've got I mainly I'm not sure what it is about the Democratic Party that attracts these kind of very almost toxically goal driven kind of people. I'm not going to name names, but just really obsessed with like wanting to be in the Democratic Party war room at some point. And they're like, well, if I get good results on this campaign, it'll be it'll set me up for the next gig, set me up for the next gig, set me up for the next gig. And I can either be a candidate or like paid consultant in the future. And you just deal with a lot of people. And I think it was really exacerbated uh, in 2016 because there were really the two main camps, which was like if you were a Bernie person in 2016, you just wanted to like show up and do something good. And you were a little more concerned about pay because like this probably was taking away from a more paying job or was supplementing your income in some way. And then there were the people who like could afford to do this because this was they could write this off as their internship in class and shit. And they would make it up to like higher positions in the campaign and shit. 
And the way they treat on the ground staffers, it's, it's, I mean, it's Amazon level sometimes. Like they love shaming uh, people for not showing up to things or not like getting enough numbers. Like I was just being shamed of like, what could you be doing right now? That's possibly more important. You know what I mean? Or Damn, uh, you know, timing. I, I the can, timing can, is, is, is it's cosmic. <laughs> I can build on that. Okay. I worked. I'm not going to say the campaign. I'm not going to say anything. I would have been part of campaign environments where literally they went through each person and you would be just verbally berated. If you didn't hit your numbers for like volunteers, you brought in that week, you know, phone calls made yada, yada bullshit, literally scolded in front of your coworkers. And there would be like 40 of us in a room and they would literally go around the room, point to each person and be like, what are your numbers? What are your numbers? I remember one time I did so well on my numbers that he thought I was fucking like lying or that I did something wrong. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, what now, the fuck? Like, ended up follow up. So are you two yeah. referring to the same person? We are likely referring I will, I will beep out the name. Yes, I'm talking about. Okay, cool. Just to a note that Adi made early in the podcast. I, I think what's important to say about the situation is that uh, just to not discourage people from getting involved in political campaigns, we are talking about like the same individual. Like this, is, this isn't something that like, yeah, this from is our like knowledge is systemic for working for and this is and also we were part of the Democratic uh party at the time. Like I've yes. for what it's yep. worth, if you've been to a DSA yeah. meeting or if you've been to like an outside advocacy group, they tend to really appreciate the fact that you're taking out time out of your day to do it. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Small groups will love you so much. I mean it's the same with not to like not dragging in like a whole bunch, but like, you know, different animal shelters. Like you volunteer with like a small group that's trying to make the world a better place. Um, like an animal shelter or like a sock drive. Um, you will just just floor them. <laughs> they will be so happy to have you. So don't, don't be discouraged because we're talking about random instances with people that were systemic problems. So please, please get out there. Please help. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, my other big, big horror story of working with a campaign was the one time I ever ended up being involved with a presidential campaign. Uh, and oh, are we talking about when we got gaslit into working for the Hillary campaign? Yeah, is that a is that a yeah. big enough? Am I allowed to say Hillary Clinton? Like, is that no? Let, let let's honestly say it. We can, I'm not going to talk about okay. any specific organizers. Oh, yeah. And to be honest, we're really over time, but I think we have a lot of content to work with. Okay. So I'm going to have a field so, day editing this. So go ahead. I'll try to keep this. Uh, I'll try to keep this point succinct. So, uh, at the time, for context, I'm working as the. I am the president of the College Democrats at my university. So I am quote unquote, the head Democrat at my university, right? So of course, uh, and this was after Hillary Clinton had been confirmed as the nominee, um, we get the Clinton campaign sent an organizer to our university and they basically, excuse me, they uh, basically attempted to become my best friend where like they had my phone number. They were kind of constantly talking to me back and forth. Um, Yeah, it was quite... I was a young, like young little uh, excited young man. <laughs> it was just, it was quite the experience just getting all this attention for To me, it was like, Oh, this guy's working for a presidential campaign. Oh, that's crazy. Well, so randomly one day shoots me a text messages, a text message. And he says, Hey, how would you guys like to have insert big actress here? Um, who, who just 
as a disclaimer, none of this situation has to do with the actress. I'm sure they are a lovely human being. Um, they had no idea that this is how anything went down. Uh, so I, I like them. In, I see them in movies now, and I can't help but think of this story. But again, I digress. How would you like to have them come and speak and campaign for Hillary at your, your university? And I'm like, oh, that's a huge deal. Like, that would be awesome. Um, so I tell them that, right? Uh, not 40 minutes later, I'm sitting in the main student center of our university just working on homework. I get this, like, all caps email from the head of the student organizations, uh, who is an employee who works for the university, says, why are you telling everyone that this actress is coming to the school in, like, three days? And I'm like, what? Like, I didn't, I didn't say anything. Like, I, what? So I run downstairs. And the timing of this was horrible. I just want to give some context. Like, Tyler was going through like some personal shit at the time, and yeah. we were also involved like with this Democratic org, right? Yes. And you just I tell us like offhand, like this is the shit you're dealing with, and I'm like, what? Yes. So, so anyway, um, I. I, they basically bring me over to a computer and they show me that the Democratic Party like of America and of Michigan, they are, they're all posting about this event with this actress coming to the university. And she looks at me like it says hosted by the college Democrats at this university. Uh, and so the, the person who runs the student orgs looks at me and says, what are you doing? Like, there's so much like you, we don't have a space oh ready. God. We they, don't have parking ready. We don't have anything ready to like host this event that like hundreds of people are going to come to. Like, you have to let the university know. And then I just I just poured my guts out. I was a panicking like 19 year old kid who was like, no, no, I promise it's not my fault. I didn't know that they were immediately going to take this. Like, I, I literally showed her the text messages. I was like, this is all I knew. So she says, uh, you have their info, bring, bring them in here, bring them in here right now, bring the campaign person. So I'm like, okay. And I tell the campaign person who happens to be getting signatures or something, um, in another part of the school, uh, he comes walking in, like nothing's wrong. Uh, cue yeah, two this, this hours. motherfucker is causing a campus wide meltdown and he is just hanging out in like the fucking. Oh, and it was the biggest asshole they sent because, and oh my God. because like they, this they bastard. literally said like this fucking twink. I can say it. I'm queer. They send this fucking twink from LA out here. And like, oh, he's over here, like getting mad at us. Cause it was a, we were a little chapter of Bernie bros just trying to like, you know, like do something nice. There were seven of us. There were seven of us at best. It was hard to get students involved in this university. And he's over here like, you guys aren't getting numbers for Hillary. Why aren't, and like, I had <laughs> yeah. see, I had like projects due at that time. And he's like, well, why aren't you, why aren't you canvassing? I won't, I was like, I can't, I'm fucking busy right now. And the worst part was like, they were trying to promise us and like, campaign and administration jobs for doing it and i'm like how stupid do you think i am i'm gonna go go work at the white house because like i got to get some signatures for hillary at my podunk like school really yeah exactly (laughs) 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 what ended up um ended up happening so cue a two-hour meeting uh with uh with the university's administration oh um where ultimately uh, and, and I got to give, I had my disagreements with this university uh, employee um, over the years that I was there, uh, but she quite literally moved mountains. I mean, she cleared out a whole like venue for the speech to take place. She cleared out parking. Uh, she rearranged stuff with the campus police. I mean, she 
she really did do a lot to make this happen because she, and I feel like this was the most her and I ever bonded. Cause I think she really understood that this wasn't my doing. Um, and she was just trying to make it work. So she goes to this guy who works for the Clinton campaign and says, okay, like we've got it set up. We've waived the fee for the venue. We've waived all these different fees. All that is left is like a, I think it was a $200 fee uh, for something to register the event. And uh, the club that I was running couldn't pay for it because we were, you know, a university organization. Uh, and he then extends the meeting by another half hour trying to see if like that we could just not pay that fee. Like, like that $200 fee became like the turning point to the point where he then said, okay, the event's just not happening. And then left <laughs> two and a half hours of my life. The event did not happen over a $200 fee. She then had to go and recall all of the university people that she did and said, I guess it's done, you know, put back in whatever event we bumped. Um, yeah. And I think the real kicker to the story, I, I think what really just ices the cake is that this gentleman then went on to quit the Clinton campaign and then he voted libertarian that year. Fucking A. And like advocated fucking for a. people to vote libertarian. Holy fucking shit. And, and I didn't it's, know that libertarian. Yeah. And it's not just exclusive to what happened to our little college chapter, right? I that yeah. year I talked to like people who worked on different campaigns. I mean, Ryan was working on that legislative race we were talking about, and yep. we these Democratic races that were doing well in the in the summer before the presidential primary had been decided, now had Hillary Clinton tied to the name, and it started like putting them under the bus. And to top it off, the orders oh, from yeah. campaign ops I, were explicit. You are now supposed to like canvas for Hillary and your candidate. Yep. If you do, and like, say, go ahead, go candidate, ahead. The candidate I worked for, because I worked with this candidate who was running for Congress from February, from my fucking birthday, my 20th birthday until November. So I was there the whole time. Okay. I was there before pretty, I don't think there were, I think there were three people who were there longer than I was. We lost. We got closer than any other Democrat candidate from unseating a sitting Republican. We lost because of Hillary Clinton. It was 100% her fault. We did everything right. We did everything you're supposed to. We knocked hundreds of doors. The I'm pretty sure the Republican we were against thought he was going to lose. Like, he released a video the day of voting where he was, like, pale. He was tired. He was like, yeah, guys, go just remember to get out and vote today. Like, he thought he was going to fucking lose. But we lost because Hillary Clinton was on the top of the ticket. That's 100% what happened. I will go to my grave saying, I remember that night when we figured out the results. Like, people were like, yeah, she tied a noose around our neck and dragged us to the ocean floor. Like, that's what happened. And it's not just the reputation race. Like, the way like that. that the state party and even, like, the federal party was, like, using other campaigns' resources to, like, print shit for Hillary. Because I don't know if you guys remember, but, like, there was no Midwest strategy for Hillary. They just actively assumed that, like, well... We're going to win it. Yep. And effectively speaking, everyone at the state committee level who was like, because I heard that there was like a freak out in the Michigan campaign to some extent. And they just like forced all these local races to like pull the resources for Hillary, or at least that's what I've heard. And yeah, it, it screwed everyone over in the process. Yeah, exactly. All of a sudden polls are saying, hey, Hillary might lose Michigan because she didn't fucking show up here. Didn't and show up. Panicked. No campaign apparatus. Couldn't even get a yard sign, but goddamn, Russia was definitely involved in that. 
Russia was definitely like, don't show up in southeastern oh, Michigan. This don't don't need to get right there. Out of my mouth. This whole podcast is going to turn into a let's shit on Hillary Clinton thing. And there are other campaigns that traumatize me just as much. So we should. But I think 2016 has out. been the formative event. You know what it I mean? Is, because I think 2016 was the event that like really opened my eyes to like, okay, this liberal brand, this progress, like this nebulous term progressive, this adherence to like pussyfooting around whether capitalism is something to defend or not. This idea of respectability being the only vector by which you can express things. It's, it's not fruitful. It's not effective to like getting the word out, especially when yep. we've talked so heavily today about like how alienated everyone is, how precarious everyone is, how people don't want to be involved in the, in the shit. And if you yep. make it this kind of thing where it's like, well, you have to tie yourself to this candidate and not supporting them is, you know, failing to adhere to the proper uh, standard or respect respectability. You doom the entire project. So I don't want I don't want this to turn into like a a, a joint venting session for the three of us. Yeah, I was campaigns. about to say like a joint therapy session into it. Uh, Look, uh, I said it before. Uh, men will literally start a podcast before going to therapy. But absolutely. I am um I'm really curious actually seeing that we do have Gabby here and Gabby you do have a perspective of as someone who has not volunteered for a political campaign before. Um what are the things that I guess kind of hold you back? Is it cause you're busy or is it like these kind of stories or like not wanting to work with these kind of things? Or I I'm just curious. Um, it's a lot. Uh, I think my personality wise, I just don't, so I'm, I'm like Adi do not particularly like the idea of knocking doors. You said you didn't like the idea of knocking doors, but it's just not really your strength. And I, I mm -hmm. feel that I fun fact for my undergrad university worked for a, uh, the, calling for donations uh sector of the organization of the university and it was awful and i hated every minute of it so i'm just i just know that that's not really where i'm most effective it's not really where my strength is um or at least it's not what i like to do i also just in general um i'm currently getting my mpa so masters of public administration uh and people tend to ask me like, oh, so you want to like be an elected representative? And that sounds so unappealing to me <laughs> because I also am not a very Fair. competitive, like I'm just not a competitive person. I don't, I like to be more collaborative. I don't like adversarial environments that much. And so the, the elected rep realm is pretty much all of that. Uh, so I just don't, none true. of it speaks to me. And so I figure like, if I'm going to make change, I'm going to do it in a space where I feel like I'm most effective. And that maybe can be a message too to people is that like, this kind of work isn't cut out for everyone, right? And I also don't think, to you guys' point about the Hillary campaign and the Clinton campaign, I don't think if you're drafting people who don't feel strongly about the candidate you are pushing for, you're probably not going to be highly effective. Um, I think it takes a certain type of person to be really good at it. I think it takes a certain type of skill set. And if you don't want to do that, there are other ways to be involved and to help your community and to push for issues you think are important that doesn't involve like interacting with a man waving a dictionary in your face. <laughs> hey. You know, and that's not just that I think it's amazing work that you guys have done because I don't, I know I don't want to do it, right? It takes all, all sorts to make movements and changes. And so it's just personally not, I, 
as much as I talk about doing advocacy work too, I'm a lot more of like a data numbers person. <laughs> That's kind of where I usually feel the most Which is super important, should be said. Yeah. The people yeah. who crunch the numbers, incredibly important part of that. Yeah, and so it just, I think everybody should be in a space where they are using their strengths, they're comfortable to make the best change. If you kind of try to fit a, like a square block in a, or a what round peg in a square hole or whatever, it just... It yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. work, I don't mm -hmm. think. So that's a little bit of my my personal reasoning behind not being involved in it uh, in that respect. But, you know. I, I agree because I think people need to leverage what they actually can bring to the table as opposed to like what the organizer explicitly says is what they want. And it, again, like there's no shame in like not being a better canvasser. If you want to become a better canvasser, that's your responsibility, but it, it will work out for you because that's what you organically want. And you can actually like do the job better. But if all you can do is like work in advocacy or like, let's say if you can work on a campaign where there's more opportunities to engage differently, you could join the comms team or like uh, the marketing or what have you, or even the social media team, like campaign social media was the one thing I, at least I was able to do. <laughs> as much as I, I talk shit about it, right? As um, much as you bitch. As much as I talk <laughs> shit about it, again, again, it keeps coming back to it, right? But right. I, I think that this is where the solidarity and nurturing other people's talents really uh, remains critical. And it's not just, you know, what we need numbers for. It's also what we need effective work done in all arenas done. That's how I look at this. So if you can't like canvas, but you can contribute in other ways, do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally here, agree. Here. Okay. So here, it here. is getting late and I, again, I'm going to have a field day editing this. I don't think everything's going to make it. This, is, this has been great. Yeah. yeah I got to go to bed. Like, yeah. So any, <laughs> any closing thoughts before uh, I let you guys go? My closing thoughts, I'll keep them nice and succinct. Never underestimate the power that you have in use, mobilizing your own personal human networks to accomplish real change through advocacy and through you know, direct action. Oh, wow. You, you really did mean succinct, didn't you? <laughs> I love it. I, love I it. did. I, I said succinct. Yeah. I would succinct. <laughs> Got to give kudos to that. I love um, it. I think, I think Adi's last point is really what I want to write home about is just you don't need to be exactly the canvassing type of person. Um, if you want to develop that skill or that's where you feel comfortable, then do it. But there are so many ways to be involved, even if it is something like collecting socks to help your community, right? There are so many little things. Well, I don't want to minimize Brian's work, but there are so many things you can do that feel manageable um, and you can play up your strengths. You can be the social media person. So just stick to your strengths and know what they are. Um, and you can make a lot of change without going out of, completely out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. Um, I, I suppose just uh, my closing thoughts would be um, don't beat yourself too much up too much. Don't be that person who's like, oh, I should have knocked on more doors. I should have called more people. Oh, I'm just lying around doing nothing. Um, air quotes. Uh, you know, do what you can. You know, you have a limit. Respect it. And just be happy that you got some stuff done. You know what I mean? Like, don't fall into that trap of bashing yourself because you're not doing enough. Um, just know that everything you're doing um, is helping. So just keep 
keep that mindset, keep going forward and just keep helping when you can. That's my closing. Thanks again, guys, for coming on. It's been a blast to uh, record this. Editing might course, be another story. Um, <laughs> again, dear listener, um, that was Greenhouse Gaslighting. Uh, you know where to find our stuff in the doobly-doo. Follow us on social media. Definitely uh, write to us about how we're doing. Thanks again for tuning in, listener. Take care. Bye.